you know, this is a black man. I don't know if there was a white man laying down there. If he would have did the same thing, nope. probably not. I'm going to say, you no. know, so when do you ever see it? Like- yeah, exactly. You're listening to the Kniep and a Real Jodcast. This is your host, Seth Kniep. I've never done an interview on this topic before, and I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Independent, or anything in between. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care if you're black, white, brown, or any other color in your skin. I don't care what your status is. I don't care if you're single, married, divorced, have kids, no kids. All of that is irrelevant. What is relevant to me is your values. You're about to hear one of the most important interviews I've ever done on the topic of racism. And I'm going to ask you to listen to this with an open heart. This is an honest conversation I have with two individuals. Both of them are black. I am white on what is the issue of racism? How should we respond? Is it a national problem? When is it becoming political correctness and driven versus actually caring for people? Do people actually post because they care for what happened with George Floyd or because it's trendy? We're gonna go deep. Now, one thing I need to apologize for, Eric's mic is muted for a little bit. So you're gonna hear his audio picking up from the other mics. So I'm really sorry about that. But what he says is so important, we decided not to take it out. For about the first 70%, his mic is a little echoey. So if you can bear with that and show us grace, at the end of it, it's really good. I hope you enjoy. Well, I just first of all want to say thank you so much, Eric and Derek. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be a problem. Yeah, Yeah, thanks. (laughs) No, seriously, I want to thank you guys for being here um, to talk about what we're going to talk about today, about George Floyd, about racism, about the 1960s, about what's happening today, about where you think the future's headed. Like there's so much to discuss. And I just want everyone watching right now, you to understand we're not doing this to try to make a statement. It's not like I have to go around and say, hey, I have black friends, so I'm not racist. Isn't that cool? That's not what this is about. This is about having a very honest conversation about what is racism, how far does it go, and, and having a safe place where we can share what are the real issues and even debate a little bit too. You know, what is the solution? What's going on? Where are we headed? And so this is going to be probably the most raw conversation I've ever had on this podcast. And what's funny about it, we're not talking about Amazon FBA. <laughs> so this is like super new territory for me, but I'm excited. And again, thank you guys for taking time out of your day to do this. Uh, my prayer and hope is that this will go around the world, that people can hear and that they will get value out of this and they won't walk away with, oh, well, you're too conservative, so I don't agree, or you're too you know, left or you're too right. No, I don't want any of that to be this conversation. I want it to be about the truth because at the end of the day, if you cut me, Red blood's going to come out. Same for Eric, same for Derek. We bleed the same color, but that does not uh, minimize the fact that there are major issues in our world. And George Floyd has his death. It's it's almost like maybe martyrdom is too big, of, strong of a word, but it's stirred up and made this issue super like on the front of everyone's minds. And so here's my first question. And I'm known for breaking the ice this way. Have you experienced racism in your life? And if so, could you please speak openly and honestly about it? I'm going to let you go first. <laughs> um, many times. Um, I will say probably the worst one in my mind was um, I was 16 years old. My uh, little brother was 12 years old. 
and we had a uh, my mom's good friend that she used to work with who became a family friend like a second mother to us she was a white lady her name was trisha so she lived out in the country not too far from us in Leander. and uh, one evening she uh, had given us a couch my mom sent us in our van to go get the couch so as we're going through the back roads to get to her house and everything i noticed there's this you know really tall truck falling behind me I'm like okay whatever but like in order to get to her house i mean you've got to take so many lefts so many rights i mean chances are there's no one going exactly where i'm going yeah and she lived at the end of the street anyway so i kept going i kept going and i noticed this truck came um, was following us and everything and so we get to the gate roll the window down put the code in the gate go in so the truck stops at the gate and he's just watching us the whole time so she comes out the front door we run hug her give her a kiss she helps us we get the the uh, couch in the van and everything and then we start leaving so gate opens i go i pass this truck and i kind of looked in there saw it was a white guy and uh didn't pay any mind to it, so I just went on my way. So then I noticed he was following me again. So that kind of started to freak out a little bit. So then I started speeding, going through all these turns fast in a minivan with the couch. And uh, he was keeping up, so now I'm terrified because I know this guy's following me. I and you're very young. I'm there, I'm 16 years old. Yeah. Just got my license, and I've got my 12-year-old brother with me. And uh, so... I'm calling my mom like, hey, I don't know what's going on. You know, this guy is following me. And she's like, well, just come home. Just come home. I'm like, okay, cool. So we get out onto 2243. And so we're going. And this guy, I mean, he's just riding me. So I hit the gas pedal. I take off. And then, then yes, I'm sorry. I take off. And as I notice, there's like four cop cars that pass me. And then I notice in my rear mirror, they all turn around. So they go, you see the truck slow down, cop cars get in front of him, and they pull us over. So I pull over into this neighborhood, which is, it's right off of uh, 2243. Um, I pull over, they get out, they have us at gunpoint, and they're telling us to get out of the car and everything. So Evan's freaking out, my little brother, and I'm just like, look, just do what they say. Don't, yes, sir, no, sir. Like, just do not put up a fight. Yeah. So we start getting out of the car or whatever. They immediately put me in handcuffs and take me to sit on the curb. They've got my brother there. He's still in the passenger seat. So once they have me on the curb, then they start to grab him out of the car. And that's when I kind of went crazy. I was yelling, screaming, cussing, like, this is my little brother. Like, yeah. you don't have to treat him this way. So they finally get him out, put him in handcuffs, 12 years old, in handcuffs. And they... Started searching the van, didn't ask if they could search it, started searching the van, and then they popped open the, the lift gates in the van, and they pulled out a knife, cut the couch open, looking through it for drugs or whatever, and then I see this man that was following us behind the cop car just standing there just looking at us the whole time, and so they called my mom, my mom is on her way up there, my mom calls Trisha. Patricia is the police chief's assistant. And so after all this happened or whatever, of course, these guys got fired and all that. But 
it was a real hard time for me, especially seeing my brother handled like that. I mean, we've always been brought up as in we, my parents always taught us about racism and that we would at some point, it's not if, it's when you're going to encounter it and how to handle it. So, I mean, I felt like I handled it well to the most part. I was respectful until I saw them get kind of crazy with my brother. But even then, it, it just, it was wrong. And it turns out that guy was an off-duty police officer that followed me and was thought that I was stealing this couch. Mind you, he watched me get out, hug and kiss this white lady that gave me the couch. So that's probably the worst. I mean, I've had a little bit others here and there. I mean, and it, it's not just blacks either. I mean, my wife experiences it too sometimes. So, and she's Hispanic. So I mean, it, it goes against all other races, I guess. Do do some people treat you different because you are black and your wife is Hispanic? So some people treat, oh, it's a mixed marriage kind of thing. Do you, do you feel that at all? So I do. Um, I get it. I know I had it from my family first um, because she wasn't black. And they quickly got over that, you know, because I mean, we weren't ever taught to see skin, but they were kind of like, are you sure? You know, she's not black. But um, she's never seen it until we went to we moved to Utah for a little bit for work, and so she gets it more from her own race, and that that race is more of you kind of stay in the race, more inclusive, more inclusive. Yeah. So we'll go to a Mexican, we went to a Mexican restaurant, and seeing that she was with me, um, I mean, the service was horrible. They're talking Spanish, they're talking bad about us. Literally, no, she can understand it. Yeah. And it got to the point where I just got up and left, didn't pay or anything. I was like, I need to go. I'm, I'm going to explode. I need to go. And I've always been taught, like, you can't explode because then you become the problem. Then you you kind of solidify what these people think about me. Oh, he's violent or this and that. But, I mean, yeah, of course, you push anyone the right way. Sometimes they tend to go towards violence. Is that right? No. But, I mean, that's the life I live. But. I would say, yes, we do. Um, a lot of times, honestly, more so that I see um, racism-wise, which is not necessarily negative towards me, but it kind of, I take it as negative, is a lot of people are scared of me. And, you know, being, you know, somewhat in shape, being black, tattoos, you know, they're always kind of apprehensive. Right, they have these assumptions that they bring to the table, like, oh, well, if he's black, he's got tattoos, he's a big guy, then maybe something bad's gonna happen. Right, yeah. and yeah, maybe back in the day that could have been a true statement, but right, you know, that that doesn't. <laughs> maybe back in the day that could have been a true statement. I, I gotta say that because we grew up together, so <laughs> he knows all my dirt. But what I'm saying is, is, even like some churches, I go to some churches and stuff, and just people are just real apprehensive and and. When I say hi to people and... Like, what do they do? Like, help me understand, as a white man, when, when you can tell they're apprehensive, where do their eyes go? How do they act? What do they do? Like, what are some of the gestures that you pick up on? So, like, you can kind of... Well, I've never felt it from you, so... <laughs> That's good. <laughs> just saying. Um, it's just, like, when they talk to you, it's it's more of like a like the eye contact. It, you can just tell, like, sometimes you're just looking straight through, you know, or... 
they won't look at you or won't look at you in the eyes or anything like that. And like, even some people will go as far as to, you know, kind of keep a certain distance, like a physical distance. Like a physical they won't get distance. as close to exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I, I feel this. I know what this is, you know? And so it just, it doesn't mind. I don't mind it. It is what it is. It's, that's the way I see it. When you share this, when you share that story, how does it feel to share? Is it difficult to share? Does it feel awkward to share? Is it like free flowing information? Like, what is it like for you? It's very difficult. Um, I mean, he knows this story. I've told you this story. That's why it's easier for me to say it now. Right. Um, I've honestly never told anyone that story before other than Derek and you um, and my wife. And now everyone on this podcast. Everyone on this podcast. <laughs> um, but that stemmed a lot of, not necessarily hate in my life, but a lot of anger. Um, of course, you know, when you're kids and, you know, we're playing with other kids, you know, white, Hispanic, you know, when you're younger, you're kind of oblivious to it and your parents are telling you, hey, someday you're going to experience this. And it's kind of like a, most people, they, they just think, won't happen to me. Right. You know, it's just nah, not me. It'll be fine. And then once you go through it, you're like, it's real. Not yeah, only does it show off that it's real, but yeah. now it's against me. Yeah. So is there an issue do you guys think with, because I'm sitting here thinking, okay, so that happened to you. Sharing that was difficult for you the first time. I'm assuming you, you, you don't just freely share that with people, which in my mind is a problem, right? Like, so help me understand what is it? Why is it hard to share that? Is it because if you share it, people might interpret it in different ways or look at you different? You see what I mean? Like those things shouldn't be secrets. I was beat up unconscious in front of two of my kids until I was bleeding like crazy and I was sent to the hospital. Fortunately, I didn't have brain damage. I can tell you guys more about that. It was really hard for me to share, but that's because I felt embarrassed that I was beat up. I was sucker punched, but still I was beat up in front of my two youngest kids. Like that was one of the most hard, most difficult things for me to ever get over and finally share. But for me, that was my ego. That was me like, oh my goodness, I feel weak. But in your situation, like, can you help me understand what is it about the fact that like sharing that is difficult because you were 16? Like, you know what I mean? It's, I guess, I mean, there's a couple things. One, it's, I don't know why, but sometimes you feel like people don't really care. Like, why share if no one cares? Right. At the same time, I don't want someone, what's the word, treating me different as in like feeling bad for me. Gotcha. You don't want them condescending you or looking, oh, well, yeah, gotcha. You know, that that's not why I share that story. Yeah. And I know that it needs to be shared because it, it's out there and a lot of people don't see it. And I mean, honestly, man, there's a lot of people that have the undercover, undercover racism. You know, it, it's just... Because that's my question. How many other people out there have stories like this, but they're not telling anybody? I bet there's a bunch. I bet. You know what I mean? Like me, when you first told me that, that opened my eyes more to the issue of racism. But if I don't hear it, it's harder to know. You know what I mean? So like, I'm, I, I can't imagine how many other stories there are out there in the world similar to this for many races, but specifically in this conversation, you know, for the black community. All right. I would bet that every black person has a story like this. There, There's not an adult black person that has gone their entire life without some sort of 
if not outright racism, you have like stereotypes, some sort of like, oh, you're black, you look like this, you must be dangerous. So, so every black person, whether they consciously realized it or they're just like, they become numb to it because it's kind of like black people have to have thicker skin to walk around in this world. They just like, uh, it doesn't bother them anymore. But every black person, if they go down, if they sit down and analyze their life and things that have happened to them, have some story when they were either discriminated against, outright racism, profile, stereotype, what bias, whatever. Yeah. What's your story? Like, what, what could you share something from your life? You're like, guys, this is something I've gone through or... This is how I've experienced it explicitly or even implicitly, which sometimes implicitly is almost can be worse. So um, I was going to work one day at Sweetwater, which we both worked at together. And it was I was it was off Breaker Lane. So I was taking I-35. I got off at a breaker and I made a left. And when I was on I-35, it did there in this Runberg is an exit down, so I'm used to seeing cops behind me when I'm going to work. So I turn, and there are two sheriff cars behind me. I was like, okay, whatever. I mean, th- it's a bad area. <laughs> what, do you, what do I think is going to happen? But I get through the light and on the other side, and then they pull me over. I was like, all right, that's weird, but whatever. So it's like license and registration. I was like, here you go. I was like, uh, do you know why I pulled you over? I was like, no. I was expecting him to say something like your blinkers out or your taillights out. He was like, I noticed you came off of Runberg. And I was like, I was on I-35. He's like, well, we saw you coming off of Runberg. So I'm like thinking to myself, so because I'm black and I came off of Runberg, you're pulling me over. Well, re- just real quick, Derek, what was his tone you know people give off tones was he laid back was he aggressive about it he was very friendly like it like it's no big deal like super casual they always yeah. are. they're always friendly about it even though it's racist oh, interesting. they feel like being friendly covers it up we'll cover it up <laughs> hopefully not make us go off the, the deep end i mean that's what they're really doing but he was just so he was like so can you step out of your car and i was like sure like because i'm thinking to myself it's like I don't have anything to hide. I wasn't on Runberg, but whatever. He's like, can we search your car? It's like, yeah, go ahead. There's there's nothing in there. And apparently he had a, which bothered me once I got to work, he had a cop that he was training and he was the one that searched my car. And he pulled me over to the side. He was like, well, you know, that's a bad area and bad things go happen over there and you shouldn't be over there. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Right, because all I'm thinking is like I need to get to work. But that that that's one of three times where I can think it's like basically driving while black or driving while black. It's like I got pulled over because a cop saw a black guy in a car who he thought was coming from a bad part of town. So if a black person's on this part of town, he must be getting drugs. So you read his worldview into that situation. Once I had time to get work get to work, sit down and analyze the situation. I was like, yeah, you saw a black person who you thought was coming off of Runberg, even though that was an absolute mistake because I know how I get to work. 
And you're like, okay, he's over here. He must be getting drugs. It couldn't be the fact that there's an H-E-B on Runberg. There's a Gaddy's on Runberg. There's a YMCA on Runberg. There's all these other things that people could be doing on Runberg. And given, mind you, mind you, this was in the middle of the day. I would, I would be more understanding if it was night. But this is like one o'clock. I'm like, I grew up in the hood. Nobody buys drugs at one o'clock. <laughs> Nobody's looking for drugs in the middle of the day. <laughs> this does not happen. After six, you're good. <laughs> but like one o'clock, no, nobody's looking for drugs right now. But it, it's like, I read his worldview and then I had time to think like, okay, this is what you're teaching this up and coming cop. Like you see somebody on Runberg, they're black and they're, they're in a car. This is what you do. This is like, so not only you're taking your, I don't want your stereotypes and you're passing it on to the next generation of cops so that you can continue that going. So if, if there's this mentality, if there's this, let's just say there's a hundred people that cops pull over. Okay. A hundred people. And let's say it's a mixture of white and black people, but because, but the percentage of black people whom they pull over or ask to come out of the car or search the car is greater than white people. And the statistics seem to support that, right? So what does that do, do you believe, in the black community's mindset? Like I'm thinking, okay, let's just take redheads, okay? I'm a redhead. Imagine, Seth, for a minute, that the majority of, there's a greater number of redheads are pulled over and their car is searched because they have red hair. I know it's a really weird, funny thought, but I'm just like trying to get it, give an illustration here that will drive the point. What does that do to my mindset over a while? Like if I grow up in a world where that's sort of, we always kind of assume that you're a thug because you have, you have black skin or if you're wearing a do-cat. Right, do rag. You know what I mean? Or if you have tattoos, like you had mentioned. So, what does that do to the mindset of the black community, in your opinion? Does it cause some people literally to feel like, well, maybe I am not as important or good? Or does it make others feel like I'm always angry all the time? Or others feel like I'm going to rise up? Like, you see what I mean? Like, it's, I, I'm thinking, I'm as, as a parent of four children, if I constantly treated one of my children a certain way, or I'm always kind of assuming that they're in trouble or they're doing something wrong, what's that going to do to that kid? They're going to grow up with a mindset. It's going to influence how they view themselves as a person. You guys see the analogy I'm drawing here? So what do you think of that? Like, does that create more issues that are psych at a psychological level? Assume the position. Okay, so that's that's <laughs> you get pulled yeah. over so much, you get used to this. Like here we go side. again. Here we go again. You know, and I don't know. I just I've always kind of I feel like I've always had like a stronger mindset to not let a lot of that stuff get to me. I already know if I'm getting pulled over, certain stuff's gonna happen. I've always had nice vehicles. I've always had rims. I've always had systems or lifted trucks or whatever, and. When I get pulled over, they don't expect to see a black guy in there, or they do expect to see a black guy in there. And it, it's always, can you get out of the car? Like, sure, whatever. I'm not gonna hide, you know, I'm, I'm used to it, you know, but is that right? No, because I mean, there was many times that, you know, my wife gets pulled over, or has been pulled over, never get out of the car, or anything like that. But it does change your mindset because I think undercover, like it does make you feel less than. Yeah, I mean...
Do you think that Im impacts the Blacks community? Like, let's say they go to apply for a home loan, or let's say they go to apply for a job or something else. Do you think that puts in some people's minds, and I don't want to generalize here, but I want to ask the question that, oh, well, because people think of me this way, my chances are probably a little bit less, and therefore that reinforces that thinking, which creates an even bigger problem. Do you guys see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing. So let me stop you right there because like like you said, you expected me to come with facts and history and stuff like that. Okay, so you brought up the mindset. So when we first originally talked and I told you like America is built on slavery, you were like, well, that does that turn into a crutch? So I went and I looked into this and it was, do you know when they started weaponizing black skin because that's basically what we're dealing with right now is the fact that you see a black person that person even though they are unarmed they are immediately a threat simply because they're black do you know when that started 1893 1893 a guy named uh what's his name uh charles charles h smith he wrote a bag negro is the most horrible creature upon the earth the most brutal and merciless. From, this was right after slaves had been freed, right after they had black people in Congress who caused the South to become more prosperous because they were taking care of the poor, they were building schools, they were doing, making all kinds of good programs. And before that, before they were freed, the idea of a black man was docile, dumb, and just like, subservient so what changed between what changed was the freedom of the f freedom of the slaves as soon as white people lost control of slaves they had to re re profile them almost so at before before they when they had control we were docile dumb and you know not a, not a threat at all right. soon as they lost control and they saw what we could offer the community because it came down to like they were afraid that we would become wealthy, we would get the right to vote, we would impact the nation. And basically that was a challenge to their thoughts of supremacy. Almost like it became a threat to their identity, therefore they had to turn you into a threat, right? Exactly, because it was slavery was built on the fact that whites are superiors to black. And, well, whites are superior to darker colored skin. That, that, that was the... More like a spectrum. Yes, so high spectrum low spectrum and that's the that's the pecking order or hierarchy so as soon as the dark spectrum because lincoln had given us a freedom said we were people as soon as that happened that challenged their supremacy and once that challenge of their supremacy happened they're like okay we can't have this you are now a threat to us simply by being simply by being black and free so you take that mindset and I mean, it's funny how like history, history influences the future, no matter what. Because, like you said, when they see when Aaron, when they see Eric, it's like, oh, he's black, he's got tattoos. The first thing they think is thug or violence. When a survey was done, three things that the top three words that came up when they see people saw black people a black man was violent criminal and a brute or something like that that was the first, first what's what people's what people think 
Now, you're not going to get that out of face-to-face. No, someone's gonna, not going to say it. But if they think that by without even realizing they're doing it, they're probably going to implicitly say things that subtly... And that's what, what I find really interesting. It's the subtle stuff, the subtle implications. The explicit stuff's horrible, like what you explained, Eric. But I'm also thinking, what about the subtle side? The subtle. Like the little things people say that people don't even know. The subtle side... Is that much? It's no, I would say that it's worse because it gives people the idea that it's justified. Like, oh, it's okay to just think that a black person is dangerous. He might be dangerous instead of looking at it like, I just stereotype somebody by their skin color. Like, because the news will tell you, if you look at the news, they're like, well, black people kill each other. Black people loot. Black people rob. So, and even when they're saying things like, hey, let's help this black community, what are they implying? It's condescending. It's almost like, you know, I'm not, I don't care if it's right or left here, but it's almost like, oh, this special group of people who need help. So let's help them out. Let's really help. And it subtly implies that that community or that skin color is inferior almost by trying too hard. And that right? that goes back to master-slave. Like, oh, I'm the master now. They need my help. Let me help my slave because my slave, there's no way they're going to get this done right. on their own. So what I bring this up because you were talking about home loans. And the the stare, how it affects the psyche. So we've had 300 years of this. So you do have the black community who has bought into the idea that like, I'm useless. I'm not going to be able to do anything. All I'm be able to be is a criminal or a thug or a professional sports player. Not the idea of like, I'm be able to get educated, go to college. Like, Can I really quick? I just want to stop you there. Derek, how do you change that? And, and I don't even necessarily mean you personally, because I don't think that's you, but how, do you, how does someone change that mindset if a black person says, oh, I just give up, that's just who I am, versus someone who says, you know what, that's not who I am. I don't care what society thinks. I'm going to fight for something different. How do you shift that? Fathers, if you, if you, if you look at the black community, all the dads are in jail, or a majority of them are in jail. Or just not a part of it. Or just not a part of their lives. And I mean, it's like, if you want to destroy a community, take out all the dads. You take out all the dads, the community turns into chaos. So let me ask you another question then. What do we do about that? What would you guys say? Like, what is even a first step in that direction? It's like a double-edged sword because... Yes, there are a lot of, you know, black men incarcerated in those communities. And yes, there's there's racism in those communities. But at the same time, like, there's racism. But at the same time, like you said, that, that mindset that you grew up with, if I'm not going to be good enough and if they think this is what I am, then screw it. That's what I'll be. So if there are black men, women, or just black people in period that are out there doing crime or being violent and all that stuff they're part of the problem too you know so it's a double-edged sword to where 
yes, we are looked at lower, but then if we make ourselves lower, that just makes you even more lower. It's like it reinforces it. It just reinforces it. It's like it's giving them what the white people who are racist wanted from the beginning. Exactly. So, I don't know. I'm just, I'm on the fence about that because, I mean, I've been on both sides. And that that is probably my my biggest question here, too. Because for me, personally, so... Let me qualify before I say this. I don't say this to sound like, hey, look, I'm not racist. My friends were black. Truth is, when I grew up in school in Mount Pleasant, Texas, most of my friends were black. I didn't try to make it that way. I was very oblivious of even racism itself. I knew about slavery from the past, but I didn't think it affected you know, today's society. It was beyond me. I just like to hang out with people and most of my friends so happen to be black. So growing up, it never was for me like an issue of, oh, is, is that person black? Is that, it just, it didn't cross my mind because I was so comfortable in that environment, whoever it was, it didn't matter. All day I would get in fights with Mexicans and have friends and play football with black people. And like, I just, it was crazy. So growing up, I didn't have a no one sat down and showed me. It happened, I'm sure, looking back, but I didn't see it. So now I'm 40 freaking two, and now this has become more and more conscious. After years of my conversation a few days ago, after years of my conversation, it's becoming more and more apparent. I'm sitting here thinking, how did I not see it? And this is not an excuse, guys. This is simply, I'm asking, how did I not? Like, w- what is missing here? So here's my question. How do you look at history and where it's been, and then look at present day, and not let history be a crutch, as you said, Derek, but also recognize it so that we can do something in the present. Like, where do you find that balance? Because on one side, my fear is, okay, so the racism that has happened is horrible. But at the same time, you don't want that to become a crutch where it becomes an excuse. On the other side, we can't ignore it and act like it's not there because it is. And and the reason I share my history with you guys, I want you to understand the reason. I can guarantee you there are a lot of, and this is not an excuse, but there are a lot of other people out there who are not black who would say the same thing. Like they're very, very oblivious. This is reality, guys. So like there's obviously on one side there's ignorance and on the other side there's people who perhaps they are very racist but they don't even know it. Like I have a I have a friend, she a close friend. She dated a black guy, took her to a prom. To the prom for, um out of high school. And her dad, who was a sheriff, was super angry. And she's like, "Why are you angry?" And his answer was cuz he's black. And she's like, Okay, but why are you angry? And he couldn't give a reason. He couldn't say, well, because, and maybe, I don't know if he was holding back information. Well, black people, blah, blah, blah. He just said, because he's black. And she was like, and, and it took her years later to look back and say, oh my goodness, like that's, that's nuts. So again, back to the question, how do you keep it from being a crutch? At the same time, still give it the respect it deserves so that we can correct the problems today. Because I, I, I see black people on one extreme, they're like, government's got to fix this whole thing. And the other side, I've, I have peop, friends who are like, you know what? I can't use that as an excuse. I'm going to build my life. I only get a short life. I'm going to do everything I can to make a difference and let this make me stronger. So what are your guys' thoughts on that? Okay. So when you asked me that question, my first response was, yes, it does have to come from the black 
community. We have some things internally that we do need to fix about ourselves, about how we demonize black people who are doing well. Because there's always been a term in the black community. If you're going to school, staying out of trouble, doing the right things, you ain't black. Is that racism? Yes. So that's racism of black against black? Yeah. I mean, so I experienced that big time. So I grew up in the hood, not too far from Derek, and was getting in trouble a lot and getting, you know, associated with gangs and all this. So my mom worked her ass off and moved me to Leander into a white community to hopefully get me away from the black community and the all the uh, influences it, it made it worse honestly it, it, it made it worse for one I'm in a white community so now all eyes on me I couldn't make a wrong move anywhere and at the same time I still got all my black friends and stuff like this and since I'm over here with all these white people they look at you different now like what do you do different. Like, almost like you betrayed us or something exactly and then even like, you know, some of the black people that are in my school and stuff like that, you know, if something happens and some white kid says something to you, you know, you're always, you know, taught as a kid to turn the other cheek. But then being black, if that other person is not black and I don't do something about it, I'm looked at as being weak. So there's a lot of internal stuff, yes, that we do need to take care of at the same time. But my thought is, is that first of all, it needs to be recognized by everyone that there is a problem. Hmm. And I mean, it may not be something that we can necessarily do like today or, or anytime soon. I mean, there's little things we can do, but it's more of trying to set up our youth for a better world. I mean, that, that's honestly, that's, that's I mean, because people what, are I think what, and that ties in with what you said earlier, fathers. Like, I think just the conversation up to this point, that's probably the most valuable takeaway that I can take away for myself personally fathers have such a huge impact on their family. I know this. I'm a father of four kids. You guys are both fathers, so you get it, right? Being a father is freaking hard. <laughs> it's not easy at all. And you feel that responsibility. Um, so like, that's really, really powerful. But here's my follow-up question to that. Well, Derek, did you have something first oh, best well, from before? Yeah, so yeah go one, ahead, because I'm, I'm you, about to shift the topic. Go once, you, once you deal with us basically drinking the Kool-Aid that we've been dr drinking of. Like, we're not good enough. We might as well be. Once that's been taken care of, or when you start dealing with that, you've got to look at the media and how the media portrays black people. Like, they, the media doesn't put us in a good light at all. Doesn't matter if it's right or left. Right, that, nope, nope. Either <laughs> so why do the media talk so much about we got to stop racism we got to stop racism do you think it's hypocritical media is media. clicks media has to be media in order to make money media is money that big and they they will good bad whatever i mean they can go back later on and say oh well they'll never say they're wrong but they'll just shift the topic and something else will come up and you'll forget about it and just it's just what it is i have media yeah <laughs> media makes black people whether intentional or unintentional, it's like, I, I don't think it's intentional. It's just they're looking for stories that sell. That, right. That's the point of me. Anything that's sensational, anything that's bad news, anything that gets people to emotionally, viscerally react, that sells. It gets people to click. Yep. And I mean, it's like nothing gets 
them to sell as like, oh, this black person's been shot. This black person's done this. There's another black shooting. There's another black shooting. There's another black person. It's like. By black shooting, you mean a black person being shot or a black person shooting someone? Both. Gotcha. Both. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. matter. So how, if a black person's getting shot, how does that hurt the black community's cause? Be, because it, that it supports the media's narrative of black people are more violent. Black people are brutes. Oh, so black people instinctively think, oh, well, what did they do wrong exactly. to get into this? Why did they get arrested in the first place? What do you do? What happened? What? It's like. So the media feeds into the stereotype of we are criminals, we are brutes, we are we are whatever you want to call it. And then they also feed into the stereotype of oh, we need to we need to help these people because they're not going to be able to do it themselves, which you know, to an to an extent, I agree. It's like we can't reach as many people with our message that you can. It's like there there's no way. If media the media no there's no way we can't we can't put enough dr martin luther king pictures barack obama any even though barack obama is now polarizing it's like there there cannot be enough successful black people to put out the fact that we are all not brutes thugs and what dangerous we're not dangerous we are simply people there's there's not enough of us to get that message out we do need help in the in the media and the facts put out like, oh, there's this black person. He's doing this for this community. There's this black person. He's doing that, that, for, that for the community and not an athlete because that also reinforces the stereotype of if you want to be black and make it, if you ain't in the NFL or the NBA, you're out of luck. Right. It's like. Like that's so the only way you can become rich is, if you're black. That's basically. the only way out of the, besides the drug game, which. Rappers do not help. <laughs> like, it's like that. That's it's like. Well, wouldn't you say though, rappers? I get what you're saying because the messages can be really, really toxic. But wouldn't you also say that a lot of the rappers, those songs come out of from years of suffering, and so it's sort of their way of defying what they have gone through. They may not be dealing it the right way. I agree. But it also is. It's almost like the gospel singers of the 1800s. You know. The, the, Black people seeing the, like a, a message of freedom and liberty. It's almost like a repurposing. Hey, back to the Q and A today. <laughs> the mind. The repurposing of that same message. They're, they're would rapping, you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree. They're rapping about what they know and what they did. It's just like, how does talking about how you are a pimp and selling drugs help help the future? It doesn't. I mean, and they're. I feel like rappers sometimes like when they do have to do those extremes to get where they're at, it's not necessarily a brag. Some of them are bragging about it, but it's more of a, this is what I had to do to get here. You know, this is what I'm, I'm going to talk about. You know, it's, you got to pick your rappers wisely. Some of them, it's just, you know, Hey, you know, money, women, sex, drugs, you right. know, that's all they know. And the kids think that's what you have to listen to to be that's cool. What, exactly. And so they start reinforcing some of that negative behavior that ends up exactly. actually fathers ending up in jail. Perhaps. Exactly. Yeah. And most of these rappers are not fathers. So interesting. Yeah. So, so this I, is, hold on. I'm not done yet. All right, you got There's one more, more. statement because okay. I got something I got to ask you. I know. Okay. This is my so show, Derek. Af af <laughs> after guest, you get... <laughs> it's my show now. <laughs> the Derek Jodcast is after, here. <laughs> after you've got the community, you've got the media, 
then it comes time to where people have the pushback of the politicians of the laws that are inherently biased or racist. I like to use word bias. Like some of that stuff, the past stuff that I sent you, like redlining, where it right. caused black families to be poorer, which is, I think, why you don't, you didn't notice it growing up. You, poor, didn't deal with it. you grew up in a poor neighborhood. Right. That That's what, like white people from the hood and black people from the hood, it's just like, we from the hood. My neighbors so, on both sides, they were black. Yeah, it's like you're you're not you're <laughs> Across not across the street, they were black. <laughs> you're not gonna notice it if you grew up white, poor in the hood. You're gonna think like, man, this is this is messed up. Like you're gonna grow up with the same mentality of black people where it's like, what I gotta do? It's like the, the only way I make it out of here is because that's the wealthy's message to the poor. That that's the other part of this coin. It's like you've got black and white and you've got wealthy and poor. So if you're poor and white, you're basically, you know, almost black besides the white privilege, which we're going to get to eventually. We are. But it's it's like that's why you did not see it, because you were poor. You didn't have access to the same things that rich white people had. You were still white in America, which right. gave you some liberties. Sure. But yeah, opportunity. Yeah. But still, it's just like you didn't see it. You you weren't rich and white in America. That's why you're like, I don't understand it. That's so I got to ask you guys this. Let's say 100 people applied for a position to work at Apple. Okay. Apple is a random company. There's no reason I'm picking it other than the fact that I used to work there. 100 people. Are the chances higher that a white person would be higher than a black person today? Do you believe that? Yes. Hmm. And that's again goes back to that subtle mindset that people grow up believing. So the opportunity for a black person to get a job is harder. So here's my question. And again, you guys know I'm very biased when I say this because of my story. Can that be motivation for that person to say, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go build my own business. I'm going to go build my own life. I'm not going to wait. I'm not minimizing it, guys, but I'm not going to wait for society to give me what they should have. Therefore, I'm just going to let this drive my heart to go do something for my family that will be even better than if I had the privileges that other people have. What are you guys' thoughts on that? And I know that may not be for everyone, but I can't help but insert that in there because that's how I left the corporocracy. So I, I agree with that 100%. Um, I think that, so yes, I do have a great job right now. I get paid well, but I had to bust my ass to get it. I had to start at the bottom. It's the only way I can get in this company is to start at the bottom. So for one, I'm black. Two, I have tattoos. Three, I'm a felon. That's three strikes against me. Yeah. It was so hard to find a job. I was working at Oliver for a while. That's the only thing I could find. Yeah. So luckily I got into this company and worked my way up. And now I'm, I'm in a very, I'm a higher position. Um, I get paid well. But I'm working 85 hours a week, you know, so I've worked my ass so hard that now I'm the only one in my company, a nationwide company that can do what I do. You had to fight harder, harder because, because you were black. Right. Because yeah. I will automatically, for one, uh, and I haven't gone to college. So they had to create positions to give me because I wouldn't have qualified. So, well. So you had to build trust. 
I, I, exactly. And trust takes a long time. Right. Which, it takes years to gain, but you can lose it in a second. Exactly. Which is, is not a lot of people can do it. It's, it's hard because it, it's easy to put yourself down and be like, you know what? I just can't do it. You know, they're, they're not giving me the chance. You know, I'm just going to give up and just do whatever, you know, go sell drugs, whatever, you know, but I've, I've always just had that mindset, like screw them. Like I'm going to show them, you know I mean? And that's how I was in sports too. You mean, and yes, there is that stereotype that black people are better in sports, but to me, it's not the fact that we're better in sports. It's the fact that we have to work twice as hard to get noticed. You know, so it's, and that's with anything, not just sports, that's with jobs and everything. I, I feel like you just, you have to, to work that much harder to make yourself, you know, stand out and kind of make people just be like, hmm. So how can we, how can we take, Eric, what you just said that you're like, screw it, I'm going to work harder, I'm going to make it happen. So you, as a result, became a much stronger person. But at the same time, with, along with that, not in any way minimize the fact that this is a real problem. Because see, here's my fear, and, and you guys are gonna hear some of my values coming out as I say this. I and I think, Derek, you know this by now for me. <laughs> I have a great fear of the government trying to fix anything. Black or white, I don't care. Latino, like seriously, because you look at how they budget and the money that, that's wasted. And like, I've always been, you know, government, you know, you, you, you're supposed to protect us, which that's ironic, speaking of in this conversation right now in light of George Floyd, you're supposed to protect us, you're supposed to provide certain services, but at minimum, let us go out and build businesses in a free capitalistic world. But if you give me something, I fear that that could enable people or create a sense of entitlement see what I mean? But how do you balance that with what happened in the 1960s? Derek, you were talking about this the other day and the whole, I mean, back then you could, you could reject someone just because they were black. And then I think it was what, 1968, they had the Fair Housing Law Act. But then if you look at the homeownership gap, it hasn't really changed. In fact, it's gotten worse since 2010 between black and white. So like, again, I'm not minimizing the problem, but did the government really help? So here's how I look at it. And I mean, I'm going to speak honestly. The government created the problem. It's like the government created redlining. The government created all the laws that kept black people down. The government created all these things. Right. So to a degree, yes, I, I believe the government has to fix the problem. And it's not like fix the problem where they're like, okay, we're going to get rid of all these bias laws. No, no because... If you get rid, if you have a runner, you've got two runners. One gets a two mile head start, and the other one starts at the starting line. And you're like, "We're going to make this fair. You both start at the same time." It's like the one with two mile head starts going to win the race. It's like there's no if, ands, or but. That that's where, that's what it is now with blacks and whites. Whites have a two mile head start. Right. Even if they make everything fair. They still have more money generally. They have more houses and property generally. Like they have more it, they can it's, it's use and fall back It's been shown like that whites, blacks and Latinos are less likely to get houses. Blacks and Latinos. It, you know that question about the job at Apple that you asked? Yeah. It's, there, there was a study shown like same resume, mm -hmm. black kid, white kid. If you have a black sounding name, you will get less callbacks hmm. just for just because they think you're black. Hmm. So it's like, like yeah we get less opportunities and the opportunities we get like eric said you got to work three and four times harder just to just to get in the door yeah 
So yeah. to to a degree, yeah, the government has to give us that same hand up that they gave to white people in the 50s and 60s because this is something I found crazy, but Martin Luther King was about to ask the government for $30 billion in yeah. 1967. I, yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> right before maybe that's why yeah. he got shot. It's <laughs> like, you're about to ask $30, million, $30 billion right. a year from the government yeah. to help take care of the poor and the disenfranchised in 1967. I did not look at what the inflation value would be come to 2020, but I'm sure that's a pretty, pit, that's a huge yeah. number. So it's like, even he knew, like, it's not a blank check just to black people. No, that's not not a blank check. But it was going to fund programs, so it makes them easier to get houses, easier to get business loans, easier. So something a little more educational, experiential based versus yes. here's a black check because we feel bad. Yeah, yeah. Did that really make that person stronger? It, 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 it make things worse. It, it, it'll, yeah, you're, you're given a blank check to someone who knows nothing what to do with that check. Mm. All we know or... Most blacks know that I hate saying all blacks, but you give a black guy in the hood ten thousand dollars to go start a business. He's gonna go make sure his car has nice sounds, nice rims, looks good, made by a watch, made by a chain. You know, little does he know, hey, I could take this ten grand and you know resell on Amazon or or whatever, and actually create wealth from it yeah. instead of. I got this right here right now. Let's end it. And that goes back to fathers. Right. Who better to teach a child, mothers as well, who better to teach a kid, here's how to manage your money than parents. So I wanted to ask you, Derek, because I know Eric spoke to this, you haven't yet. How were your parents instrumental in helping you to have a healthy perspective as a black man in this world? Like, did they talk about racism a lot? Was it more hush-hush? What was it like for you, if you don't mind sharing so, that? So my parents, they didn't, I didn't have the, the uh, if you get pulled over by a cop, son, this is how you, this is how you act. Because I, I know a lot of my friends had their, most of, it was uncle or something had the talk because their dad wasn't around. It's like, if you get pulled over, this is what you need to do. But I didn't get that talk. What I heard about was um, my mom going to school when they were doing uh, integration and how they got threats because she was black going to a white school and how their church burned was burned down and how my uh, great grandfather had to change his name from Chubb because they, they're from the, they're from Mississippi. Hopefully I got that right. Mom, pretty sure um, how he had to change his name from Chubb and run away, run to the somewhere else because he was accused of killing a white woman or a white man. It's like, so I got more of the history of it. It's like race, there are some bad things that happen because of, because you're black. I never got the, the cop pulls you over. Here's what just, you do. Just, right. Yeah. So, so my parents mostly made sure that I had a firm Bible foundation. It's like, yeah. And that's like, Give give respect to authority. Like so, I mean that that will keep you safe ninety percent of the time. Yeah, but now it's more of respect your authority because you're feared. Right. 
yeah, I mean, yeah, it wasn't respect your authority because it's like you're here to protect me, so I'm going to submit. Now it's like I want to live. I want to live. Yeah, I mean, so in light of that, guys, George Floyd. So obviously, it's on everybody's mind, but I want to ask you. So the protests, you got the peaceful protesting, you have the riots. These riots aren't just black people, the white people too. So I see it as a lot of people taking advantage of a situation who don't give a crap about George Floyd, which is like, oh, it's an opportunity to loot or I'm angry about something. So let me go express it or let's join the crowd and jump on. And I hate that. But here's the, here's the other side of the double-edged sword. People are noticing like right now, in France, I don't know if you guys saw this in the news, but people everywhere in France, peaceful protesting, United Kingdom, same thing. So does it require, actually, I'm going to quote Martin Luther King Jr. I wrote it down because I thought it was so powerful. He said, a riot is the language of the unheard. He also said riots are socially destructive and self-defeating. Like there was a balance there. What do you think of this? Have the riots helped even though this is not the right way to go about it? I mean, you see a guy riding a, another guy's store that's owned by a black guy. Like this kind of really defeats the whole point, right? But on the other hand, people are angry. They're upset. And they're like, something's got to happen. And I can't help but draw a parallel back. It's not an exact parallel. But if you think back to the revolution, the American revolution, we Americans have always been like, we're going to fight. You know, I spent a lot of time in Europe and people there are like, peace at all costs. Their mindset, they don't understand Americans. They're like, you guys are, you guys are mental. Like you guys get all upset and you, but that's also what we were built on respecting what you said as well. But the idea of freedom, the idea of, well, we can speak, you can't tell us what religion to worship and all that, which is very ironic in light of slavery. So the revolution, the American revolution was people rejecting the rule of the British because they were sick of feeling suppressed. Isn't it ironic like now what's happening is the same, like what are your guys' thoughts on this? Because at what point does a revolution, which may include violence, become the right thing? Ooh, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm gonna land closer on the side to MLK than Malcolm X, just gonna be honest about that. Like, <laughs> it's like you start picking up guns, everybody loses because people are gonna die. So what I have to say about the rioting is, yet again, the media is, not focused it they're like yes they're right but they would lead you to believe that the riots are caused by black people in minneapolis which goes to further the stereotype like well yes something bad happened to them and it was terrible but look at how they react they react with violence the media is not going to let you know unless you go and look at it 60 percent of the arrests are from out of state hmm. it's like so that means it ain't black people that are tearing up black people's neighborhoods. Right. But they're not going to make that distinction. And if they were to make that distinction, I'd be like, all right. Like, there are riots. It's not done by black people. So that s separates us from our already, like, you're violent. Right. And then, it, then from there, it's like, okay, focusing more on the fact that most of the black protesters are civil it's like it's like we are being civil protesters we're we're non-violent we're just protesting and that helps like okay look we've got calm cool collected almost civil rights movement yeah. black people here and then you have i don't whether it's left or right people who are just like i need to 
step up against the government. So this is my opportunity to step up against the government and say like, hey, the government needs to be smaller. Or on the other side, it's like, hey, it's a good opportunity to wreck black a black community. It's like, you need to focus more on those people. It's like, the black people are being peaceful. We're, we're trying to fix this the right way. Right. We've got other people who are hijacking it to turn it into where the media has a way to turn it into black violence yet again. And once that happens, the riots have per- served that reinforces zero, racism. Zero purpose. If white people just watch the news and believe whatever they hear. Like, oh, there it goes again. Kind of like, well, you deserved it. You know what I mean? It just that kind of thinking. Just like just the, the first, just like Rodney King. It's like yeah. all the riots that happened, Rodney King's message got absolutely lost. Yeah. So it's like. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a, I don't know what you think. I don't know if it's staged or what, but it's just, it always happens when something, you know, catch catastrophic kindly I can say it sorry um, like that happens it's almost like something else needs to trump it to kind of get people to pull back from it don't focus over here focus over here you know like sleight of hand kind of a thing and the writing I'm good for I'm not I'm not good for the violence it, it just that never solves anything um if things get too out of control, I mean, what what are police and what are they supposed to do? They've got it's gonna to create more they've issues. Got it's going to create some, more issues, exactly. and then it gives more excuses. You got for more racism. dead people, you yeah. know, whether it's white, black, right. whatever. It's it's murder, period. Right. You know, so it, it's it's not the answer to the issue. Um, I do agree with it because it is getting traction. You know, it is getting eyes and stuff like that. Um, the media. does not portray the right message and and it's the media never really shows you exactly what it is and so it's either they're far right or they're far left it's either black people are all bad or you know floyd was a martyr you know and which I think martyrdom might help i don't i wouldn't call him as far as a martyr but it might help it, it might help to say that but I don't agree with that at all. This dude was not a martyr, and I'm not trying to talk bad about this dude at all. But at the same time, if you look at the history of this dude and what he's been through and look at his rap sheet, I actually went and looked at this man's rap sheet. I mean, in 2005, he held a pregnant white woman hostage in her house with a bunch of other black guys. Like, the dude was not a saint and he was not a, a a good citizen or anything like that so he was arrested because of counterfeit money right a, a, exactly and, and he was high at the same right. time so it, right. it's it's like this dude was not doing good now what happened to him he did not desire that deserve not to deserve die over a 20 20 dollar bill like come on yeah. but that that's what we need to focus on at the same time yes there is racism you know going on that needs to be addressed also but at the same time it's more of okay this dude abusing power you know whether what's in his mind is you know this is a black man i don't know if there was a white man laying down there if he would have did the same thing probably not i'm gonna say you know so when do you ever see it exactly you're and you're not you know and even if it does happen and i'm not saying it doesn't and and because there's so there's a statistic out there, and you can look it up, it, that says that if you look at the murders and stuff that are happening out there, there are actually more white people murdering than black people, you know, but there's more black people incarcerated. So you, 
if you kind of get the gist of it is we have a smaller population like period in america percent just in case anybody wants to know there you go (laughs) i wrote down 12.5 but close enough (laughs) we'll round up yeah (laughs) but it's we do have a smaller part so it it it's more impact because we're condensed exactly you know so it's it's so if, if 70 some percent of the population in the U.S. is white, which it is, what should white people like myself know and do? Massive question, but I want to know. Massive like, question. What should white people do? Because if, if, the, if the burden of guilt is very much on white people, not every individual white person, right. but as a society, absolutely. And some white people, absolutely. So, I mean, think about it, guys. Again, just to help you, I'm, I want to understand, and I want you to understand me too. Sometimes, I remember growing up seeing this, when the media would talk, especially in the last like 10 years, so much, like, a lot of social media, like, oh, we need to do this, we need to do this. And I'm like, why are they talking so much about racism? I don't see it. And I didn't. And then here was the fear I had. I wonder if some white people get tired of it because they don't understand it. And so it actually creates a new kind of racism, like, oh, they want to treat black people special. And there's this lashback. And I've seen it happen. Mm-hmm. There are people I know who talk this way. They're like, they're, they're angry and upset. Like, what are you angry about? Well, because it seems like everyone's always talking about how we need to do something special for the black people. And that's not fair. And how come they need to be treated special? And they need, I worked hard, you work hard. That kind of thinking is very prevalent. And it's very prevalent amongst white people. Right. And I have been one of those people who's thought that before in the past. So going back to this, what do you do? You. What do we, white people, and I'm not trying to segregate here, you're black, I'm white, but you know right, what I'm yeah, saying? No. Yeah, I, I mean, think, for the majority of the population, there's something, and everyone watching, I want you to hear this. What do we do? Like, what can we do? And that's not a, we can't do anything quote. I'm really asking. Right. So what I'd say first, and I mean, it's always educate yourself, but what I would, to be more specific, to like like educate yourself on, the policies that ha- that were in- put in place when there was slavery, hmm. the policies that were put into place after black people were freed, the policies that were put into place in the 1960s that the civil rights movement went against. Right. That way, when you look at all the thing, all the times that whites were given preferential treatments, like, oh, you're white, you get this, you're white, you get this, you're white, you get this, you're you're from you're from outside the red line, so we will give you. Which, when you're outside the red line, most times you're white. We will give you this loan. You can go to college. When you look back at that, and then you come to the point of why should blacks be treated special? Because from 1900 till even to this day, you have been treated special. You did not get here. Even though you would say, I got here based on my own merits. Historically, that would that would not be true because if historically whites and blacks were treated the same from the 1900s. Be very different today. Very my different. My great, great, great grandfather was one of the galley slave ships that came over. That very much could change how I am today. Even though I could tell you, yeah, I've built my own wealth. You I've have, gone out and yes. done it. But... There was a mentality I got to receive from my parents that wasn't the same as having ancestors who were enslaved. And right, yeah, and right. that's where I right. kept keep telling you, like, you're looking 
because I'm not talking to every single black person. I don't believe like I need this handout. I, I have your mentality. It's like I can do this on my own against all odds. I will still get this done. But that's me. That's not an entire community. The entire community does not think the way I do. There are people in the community that think the way I do. But the whole community doesn't. Yeah. Uh, a majority of the community thinks that the United States is flat out against them. Right. That that they they they're to be used, abused, mistreated, and then thrown in jail. Yeah. That that's that's the attitude of the majority a majority of the black community or even minority community, if you want to look at it that way. Can I be super raw with you guys for a minute? Okay. The first time I heard the term white privilege, I felt like I was supposed to feel guilty for something that I hadn't done. Just being totally real. Like I was like, white privilege, but but no one's privileging me. And then we talked, we had a conversation and this thought I want to share and, and see what you guys think. So you have a group of people and a portion of that group of people based on the pigment of their skin are being treated worse or less. Does that by default mean that the white people are being treated better than they should be or as they should be? And then you mentioned, Derek, which is really good. You said, well, think about it this way, Seth. If you're always looking up, yeah, from my perspective, it looks like you're really privileged. You know, I know you weren't talking to me personally, but like a general white. And, and I think white people need to hear this because from a white perspective, the first time I ever heard it, it was really hard for me to understand. It was like, but I'm not being privileged from what I can tell because if, you know, when I sped multiple times in Los Angeles, I got a ticket. I didn't know, I wasn't aware that a lot of black people, if I had been black, I probably might've been taken out of the car, maybe thrown on the ground, maybe have my car searched, for, you see what I mean? So in my mind, I don't have that experience. I have nothing to measure it against. So why am I being called like, you're being treated special, but how? You see what I mean? And it almost made, there are people in the white community who feel like, am I supposed to feel guilty? Did I do something wrong? In others, they get angry at it. And I think sometimes they almost feel angry at black people for it. Does this make sense? Yeah, I'm just trying no, to help you guys see it from does. my perspective because of a lack of seeing it from the other side. So I'd love to hear you guys' honest thoughts on that. Because I know right now, white privilege is a very common, trendy term. And you know what, guys? And I just want to say this really quick. I don't care what's trending, okay? I do not give a crap. I want to know what's true, right? Because you know what? There's a lot of people on Instagram. They're like, oh, I'm going to get more followers. Let's start talking about Black Lives Matter and let's start hashtagging George Floyd just because it's the trendy thing. And I hate that. Like, There are a lot of people who do that. And like, oh yeah, we're with you, we're with you. Are you really? Does this actually reflect how you live? So I don't care about what's trending. I really don't want to know, and you will not offend me, what you think of white privilege. And I'm saying this as a white dude. <laughs> so let's do it. White white people have privilege. I mean, if you want, I, I, I understand what you're saying, because if I were to look at it, if I were a white man, and I were to just be like, uh, what do you mean? I didn't do anything. I, I've just been treated fairly. And it's, well... I have not been treated fairly. You are in a privileged position to be treated that way. If I, if I take it back to slavery, if you look at there were there were white slaves that they, they were considered indentured servants and the white slaves were treated better than the black slaves. In fact, the white slaves were put ahead of the black slaves. They watched the black slaves. So it's like those white people even though they are slaves, they're still the, treated better. They're right. still treated better. So yeah. you can look at it or if 
if it makes you feel better, it's like they were treated right. All right. So you're treated right. We're treated wrong. It's like that. If you can't, if you can't understand that, if that is, if that is something that is just like, no, it's not true, then you are not honest. You are either blind or willfully ignorant because it's like black people cannot mouth off to the cops. I've seen white, I've heard white people mouth off to the cops and tell them where they can stick it and all this other stuff. I, I've and they heard get let that. go and everything's fine. Everything's cool. Black. Yeah. black person, it's like put your put yourself in the black shoe. Walk walk a mile in our moccasins. It's like, it's, have you ever had an interaction with the police where you were less than subservient? Yet yeah, maybe probably if a black person does that, they're in. They can be perfectly subservient and do nothing wrong. Still get put in handcuffs. Still end up on yeah. on the sidewalk. Still. Yeah. And the messed up thing is when you do get pulled over and you blatantly know that this cop is racist by the things he's saying to you and asking you, you cannot do anything about it. You can't. Like you have to go with the flow, swallow your pride, and just hopefully you get to go home. You know, you don't go to jail or whatever it may be. But that's a, that's a good thing. That that's a good that's a good. And this isn't gonna. This is not attack towards you, Seth. Hey guys, we agreed. Oh, but <laughs> no offense. Swallow taken. your pride. Swallow your pride of saying, "Hey, it's why should you be treated? Why should blacks be treated differently? Why should you be treated special?" Because we haven't been treated special. If you look at history, it's like, well, isn't it enough? to just treat you equally from here on out, that says to me, like, you clearly do not understand the understand the gap. It's like, it's like, all right, fine. Here, let's trade spots. It's it said that a average white income or household is like $171,000. It's like, switch spots with me, because it says the average black income is like $35,000. You give me your 171, you take my 35, let me do what I want with your money. You do what you can with my money and see how far you can catch up to me. I'll start the Amazon business. Right. <laughs> exactly. I swear exactly. I will. <laughs> you throw me naked on the street, I'll right. start over. Like, That's what I like about Amazon is they don't know if you're black or white when you're selling. I know. So it it's really awesome. Helps. It is. No profile picture. Exactly. They have no <laughs> idea. That's capitalism at its finest. Like it, We don't care white, black, whatever. It's like if you can make money, make money. Right, it's but, the right way to do business. So here it's like you you can start now. Let's say you're like my answer is I'll start an Amazon business. Well, wait a second, Seth. You're on the wrong side of the track. So we're gonna need a few extra documents before we let you start this business. They don't know. <laughs> they don't let, have you put. Let's, don't, pretend, don't know, let's pretend that they did because that is literally what the black experience is you're like right. you, you've got to jump through hoops before you right. can get there i understand so and, I, I got a cool question for you guys let's take a guy by the name of bobby mcgee he's black he is an average nine to five job okay he has five hundred dollars in his savings he has ten thousand dollars debt on his credit card what does he do let me say that again okay so his name is bobby mcgee he's uh -huh. black okay he's an average uh, nine to five job all right he has $500 in savings. He works a nine to five job. He makes an average income, enough to live on, but not much surplus, like a little bit, a tiny bit to maybe take his wife to dinner once a month and put in his savings, okay? What does he do? 
Like, imagine we're following this guy as, as in, in today's society. What would you tell him? He wants to make more money. He wants more freedom. He wants justice. What would you tell Bobby McGee to do as you follow him around? What are his next steps? And by the way, he rents an apartment. He does not own a house and he doesn't have a mortgage, but he does have a car payment. What would you say to him? Well, maybe cliche, but so I'm in that boat. I mean, not numbers wise. And by the way, I Make wasn't thinking of you that. in this. I know you were. <laughs> and I know you work a lot more than nine to exa- five. <laughs> a lot more than nine to five. But like, I do make good money. My family lives comfortable. I am able to provide everything possible that my son needs and my wife. But I'm not at home. So even going back, to, if you take what I know now. Yeah. Going back to even before I had my son. And I was in apartment and working in Olive Garden and all this stuff when I didn't have anything. I didn't even have a car payment, you know. So at that point in time, knowing what I know now, start a business, you know. And and I said with Amazon, I mean, I'm I'm hopefully and I'm in the process now that hopefully I can start something in that space to help me not only put my family in a better position, but to help me be at home yeah. to be able to raise my child, you know, and to be able to pass it down, you know, because him being half Mexican, half black, he's going to experience the same things yeah. that I did. You know, hopefully not. Hopefully the world gets better, but as history tells it, it doesn't. But hmm. if I can show him a way that you don't need anyone else. You don't need anyone else's approval. You don't need anyone else to help you. You don't need a handout. You know, if you've got $500, you can make that work, Hmm. you know? And and there's many times that I've done that, you know, and things may fail, but you don't give up. You know, I can't tell you how many failures I've had, you know, but I wouldn't have got where I am now if I had gave up. So. What I want to do and and to tell, I mean, and this goes for all the black guys out there, all the black fathers and kids, and especially the kids in like the juvenile or even guys in prison, you know, there's a way out, you know, and, and honestly, like, and I'm not trying to like sell Amazon or anything like that, but right now in this time, that's all I know, because that's what I've been studying. And that's, you know, what I've been passionate about and what I want to go towards yeah. and that you don't need a bunch of money to do. Yeah. You know, and anyone can do it. Anyone. Yeah. Even you, Derek. Yeah. But uh <laughs> you know there there's a way there's a way out to find happiness. And it doesn't have to be negative. Hmm. It doesn't have to be on the street. It doesn't have to be drugs. It doesn't have to be stripping. Whatever you want to, you know, put it out there. It doesn't have to be that. You don't have to be less than yeah. You can play with the big boys, you know, there is a chance out there, you know, but a lot of people don't know that, you know, and it's not even to say like, maybe you got to go for Amazon. That's the only way to do it. You know, it's just, there are routes out there. There's other ways to do it. You just got to find it. You got to want it. Yeah. I guess you could say. Yeah. I, I you love know? what you're saying because in a way, Amazon is an equalizer. Like it, it, you're not going to a job interview. Um, you're not being vetted for the color of your skin. They don't know. Right. You are simply adding value to people's lives. And if they love the value, they will pay you money for it. Right. And you can build that wealth. 
Mm-hmm. And what I love about what you're saying is the motivation for you, I know, is not that your end goal isn't the wealth. Your end goal is that money is a means to an end so you can love your family, invest in them, and help other people where that can expand. Exactly. You guys want to hear something super cool? A super cool statistic. So of all of our students with just one dime, the majority of those who are the wealthiest, who have grown the most, came from other countries and broken places and messed up places. It's 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 across the board. And those who grew up in more plush societies, more where everything was kind of given to them, they struggle more, they complain more. And I don't know if that totally applies to this conversation. Maybe it does a little bit, but my point is they've had to learn to fight harder. You know, maybe I can relate at this level because I almost got divorced, because my marriage was falling apart, because I was in debt, because I was broke and I was tired of the corporate job and I hated my job and I felt like a piece of trash the way I was being treated. That did something to me on the inside. It made me angry, but that anger, like this is where I think negative emotion can be power. People don't go change their lives because they feel so great. Like, oh, that would be fun. Usually they change their lives because they feel so horrible on the inside. That drives change. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's a message here that some, and I'm not even trying to make it this way, but crosses over to the entrepreneurs because then the majority of you guys watching, you're entrepreneurs and you want to learn. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to ask, how can I take what I've learned today from this honest and raw conversation and apply it to my life? And how can I, doesn't it, like Eric said, it doesn't have to be Amazon. It could be anything. It could be your health. It could be your growth as a person. It could be your relationship with God, whatever it is. You know, there is power here if we can take and learn from it. Um, Eric, uh, Derek, hey, I did really well <laughs> to the very end. <laughs> Do you, what would you say to everyone listening? Like, what would you, we have a very multicolored audience, by the way, and very international. What would you tell them? Like, what is their takeaway? How can they learn from this? First thing first is, well, we, we all met at church, so we are all God people. So want God first. That that's that's one of the things in my household. It it's God, family, fitness. Because I also have my own business. I'm a trainer. I because I I wanted to be with my family more. And it's just like the the gyms were not. They were almost like slavery because they're not trying to help you get free. Hmm. So I I quit that and I moved on to educate myself and work for myself and be better than the trainers that you would find at a gym. So it, the things to take away from this would be, first, never forget history. Because if you forget history, you're doomed to repeat it. Uh, so learn learn your history. Learn where people come from. Learn where different people come from. Learn their struggles. Understand their struggles. And from that, be not saying be overly sensitive, but just... Think, think about, like with this conversation, think about what they have been through and what has brought them to this point and be mindful of the struggles that they have to go through, even though you don't have to. And if you are in that point where it's like, I'm tired of this mess and I want something new, somebody wise once said there, when you break something, it's either broken or it becomes a weapon. And I think that the people that are that break and become weapons are more of the self-doers. It's like, I, I'm, I can fight the system. The people, and if that's who you are, help the broken people. Because there, 
there are a lot less self-doers than people who are just like, I'm down, I need a hand up. It's like, help your fellow human being. Don't look at it black, white, whatever, because that's just that's just a construct of society. It, like Seth said when we started, you you can't cut somebody and they don't bleed red. You you are a human being, and if there's a human being down, you help that human being down, not for your for your own self satisfaction or so that you can get people to see how good you are, but mm. simply because it is the right thing to do. And yes, there's a right and wrong, and there's a definitive right and wrong. And if you're walking by and you're like, there's, there's a black person there, and I mean, it's not my problem, it is your problem, because if you're not gonna help it, you're a part of the problem. You're reinforced, by not doing anything, you're reinforcing, you're, you're, you're making a statement by just standing yeah, there. Yeah, you're, you're supporting it. Yeah. So, Learn your history. Look at people as people. Seth's not white. I'm not black. Hmm. There, there's, there's not Indian. We are all a human race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are all one race, and we need to learn to help that race instead of finding reasons to divide that race. Yeah. You when I first invited you, Derek, to be on this podcast. I remember what you said. You said, you know, Seth, we're going to offend a lot of people. <laughs> and I said, yep, black people and white people. And yeah. I want you guys to know if I offended you, and I mean this in all sincerity, I don't care. I hope you can learn and grow from it because we need, this needs to be heard. And if you're angry or whatever, comment below. I'll interact with you. Man. But I'm telling you guys, this is not about politics. This is not about who's the next president. This is not about the right and the left. You can all have your views. This is about humans. This is about people with souls, eternal souls. That's what matters. Thank you so much, Eric and Derek. I appreciate you guys. And sincerely, brothers, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah.